Yes. Yes. Okay, clip this on, Alana. All hello right, and welcome we're here. To hello, hello. Hello. No Tell's first podcast series about No Tell. People who make No Tell's. This way? I think that, that could work, yeah. I mean, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. This feels right. Good day to wear a chunky necklace. Yeah, it'll be in the background audio of what we create. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. You know who's going to listen to this, right? The team? Yeah, our colleagues, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But it's on the podcast store now. It's Great. It's like in iTunes, and uh, Drew is up. Good. I think some people have been listening to it. I see some, some listens already. That's exciting. So that's going to be our benchmark to exceed. Good. Ooh. But, like, come on. It's a tough act architects, to follow. Architects, architects, they're it's so a dull. Good... They're dull. <laughs> I did it's go to all architecture school. I should preface by saying. You ran away screaming. I, <laughs> but I stayed in it. So uh, let's do it. Great. Uh, no tell. No tell. Five words that come to mind when thinking about no tell. Can I answer? Should I answer from a brand perspective, my honest perspective as a client? Oh, yeah, let's do both. Because I was a client. Yeah, well, let's do both. First, give me the uh, correct answer according to headquarters. The official Ooh, prescription. There's a bit of alliteration in it, so. Well, fast, fast, flexible, tailored, agile. Fast, flexible, tailored. Agile. Full service. Full service. And of course, designers don't care about the great value. Value. Yes. I wanted another F. Like Fine, fun. but you, but you came here because you were, not only the president, you were a customer too. In the words of the men's, the hair club for men's or whatever from the nineties. Um, you were a customer? Mm-hmm. I was a customer. We were, I don't know what customer number we were, but we were early. I mean, we moved into our space in March of 2017. Oh, wow. Okay. So we were only at it for like 15 months by the time that we yeah. met you. What was the company again? Starbucks. Oh, my God. You were with Starbucks and then you defected Starbucks. from them. Yes. I was part of their concept design team. Oh. So effectively what's workshops, more or less today the tinkerers mad scientists that's what that group is the concept design team yeah i was wondering who they are i haven't gotten like too close to some of our customers because our people are so lovely and they've been doing it in a wonderful way but i was sort of taken you know sort of scratched my head it was described as some kind of design team and i was thinking like what are they designing are they designing coffee or no we were designing new platforms new store types we had a for example we had a cold beverage store so in the summer months it would be cold beverages only and then in the winter months it would flip to hot beverages only Um, so like refrigerated drinks or prepared drinks prepared frappuccinos Uh oh like lessies but we were at lunch the other day and you hardly touched that mango lessie on your table no but it was really good was that one of the concepts in your cold beverage store we weren't actually doing the recipes but more just the, the store designs the store designs the content um Food Forward was another store. Food Forward? Food Forward, yeah. So a little bit like if Starbucks were to do a Pret model. Oh, yeah. They totally should. I mean, yeah. instead of serving it overlapping with the, the coffee line that has to move. Yeah. 
all these people who are like staring at the sandwiches for too long. Yeah, so it was fun. It was very slow moving, um, so and very really? different. Yes, very Why? slow moving. Many many stakeholders and many many facts to be gathered prior to execution. Uh-huh. So it was like a prototyping process that you guys exactly. would run? yeah. So you'd like draw something, make it out of cardboard, make it out of foam, yep. make a room that looked kind of like it, you'd Ask go rent a warehouse what somewhere. Think. We'll then do it all over uh-huh. again. And you did this customer discovery stuff too? You were like mm-hmm. arm in arm with some anthropologist or something that was like watching people munch on the sandwich and whatnot? Yep. Yep. Yeah? Yeah. Well, that seems like kind of fun. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh-huh. Um, and it's interesting because my takeaways from brands are such small details that as a designer, um, you know, it's both the big picture and the small picture. So things at Starbucks that drove me nuts that I wanted to change were the three beeps on the oven. You'd hear the hmm. beep and an egg sandwich would be ready. Huh. Um, so how can we change our ovens? And, and yeah. It's all about the whole Is experience, Is the beep annoying? Right? It's not like warm Very enough? Annoying. I see. But it was needed or it's just the machine had that noise? It's needed to let the people behind the counter know mm-hmm. when a sandwich is ready. Mm-hmm. So anyways. Okay, but late. so then actually, yeah, I will ask you about your perception of the Notel brand or identity or value proposition. But why don't we start with the training and inculcation you must have received not only as a member of the Starbucks team, but as somebody that's trying to create products that would represent the commercial concepts of Starbucks in the world as it tries to make new and different ideas. What's the Starbucks brand about? Starbucks brand. Well, the Star- it started as third place, right? So it was meant to be... Uh... Was that really real? Like, internally, it really was real? We are a third place, not home, not work? Today, in 2018, 2019, I think less so than maybe in 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's still very much resonated with people and with the brand and that's what they strived to create mm-hmm. you joined them in 2011 no 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 and but just having speaking ah. spoken with people there was a guy there he had oh my gosh he's been there so long he would do um work closely with howard and do set design for when jurassic park would you know dinosaurs would go through a starbucks or something like that oh so, that's funny yeah so he had all kinds of stories but the way he would talk about the brand Mm-hmm. Um, I think he had been there 35 years. Plus. So he was like a keeper of the flame of the stories in the yeah. early days in Seattle and exactly. whatever. Hmm. Okay, well, third place, fine. But then you showed up at a certain point and you were trying to put a through line of some kind of brand identity into the places that you would do, right? Like, I presume this food forward or your cold drinks place had some level of like warm, friendly greeting and it's about the people, not about the transaction. And there's like wood yes. and maroon and abstracty kind of things and a lot, a lot of localization, of like yes. New York or Seattle is represented in this space. Yes. I mean, these are some of the hallmarks. Yes. Well, it's all about the human experience, right? And so the design would be driven by what makes the human experience better. Coffee machines, countertops would get lowered so that the barista and the customer could have eye to eye contact and this a little bit glorified view of, you know, days in Italy where you'd make an espresso and talk to someone as you'd make their espresso. Very much like oh, it's a, a fantasy. Yeah, I mean, but that that is a fantasy. Yes. It, I mean, espresso as is. like a machine age factory workers, you know, short break because they have to get back to the line as that being the invention, but carrying that forward to some like sun-drenched television commercial image of Italy with, like, the opera playing in the background. Exactly. <laughs> I know, I know. And, like, a beautifully curated plate of cookies. But the fantasy animates and drives a vision of what the experience is meant to be in the place. Correct. Even though you got to get through fast, not pay too much money, get the drink right. that you had correctly. And mobile order pay was changing everything, too, because that was completely challenging the system of people paying for their drink in advance, wanting to grab it as soon as they got there, and completely abandoning the the customer barista experience and so how do you how do you fight that how do you maintain um 
here, well, have a nice day, even though you're just in for maybe 10 seconds and out again mm-hmm. on that kind of handoff of the beverage. So, Well, and you must have had a look then if you were spelunking around in the innovation concepts or in food service um, at t- daily provision, mm-hmm. the Danny Meyer thing. Mm-hmm. And their take on mobile order, mobile payment, but still right. service and still kind of like gourmetish, fabulousish, but right. fast food. Right. Do you have any like reactions on that one? I wonder if it's still open. It's on the 19th Street in Park Avenue South. Yeah, I mean that's uh, there's just something too like Chef's Counter, more in Soho, and this is a little bit different, but a little bit the same. Of they have you know chefs rotating in every three months, and they have the egg sandwiches one month and something the next. Which is another big idea. This right. like uh, sort of uh, food marketplace platform with a lot of curation it's like a magazine different people come they just bring their recipe and they don't need the machines yeah i mean Mm -hmm. i think it's it's anything can be done poorly or well as long as there's consistencies and small touches that are complying with those consistencies i think even dig in does a pretty decent job of you know the finishes with the box that the food is packaged in and then the clothing that the team is wearing there's all a message and some linking all of those things together mm-hmm. and so i think you could look at any brand and see uh, are, is the, are, are they doing this well or are they not who is what is the brand and what is the message that they are saying if you know in the representation of so those what things. were we saying to you when Honestly, we convinced you and your colleagues to put a starbucks office in a no-tell i well no-tell starbucks wanted a home especially as a concept team, where we could greet people, um, have it be a Starbucks-branded space, but also be able to tinker in it, too. We wanted to bring in tools. We wanted to build things. We wanted to change the furniture every single day for different settings. And you you couldn't do that in a short-term lease anywhere while still having the ownership of that space. So that was without question um, mm-hmm. the, big, the big appeal. So the only flexible option, and everything else was awful? So you had to choose us, but we sucked at everything? Um, I mean, to be honest, I don't think... I wasn't on the early stages of that real estate process. It was, hey, come meet the Notel team and look at what is now 72 Madison, um, 12th floor. Um, and I'll never, it was John Galante and Elisa were the first two people I ever met. And we had floor plans, and it was, it was such a fun space. It used to be a, a recording like a film production studio so it was given that it was the top floor they had a skylight windows oh beautiful both sides but everything was blacked out because they were doing production work so i presume we lightened up the space a bit very much so so um but it was fun because so what did we say what did we say what did what what was was the message received never mind what was our message received in the process of creating the space was all about teamwork george showed up 15 different times to try to get our siren logo just right um, you know, John would be on site, Elise would be on site. It was, so it was very much a collaboration. Um, and then once we were in the space, I'll never, for, I, and I still joke about it to this day, people said, you guys thought of everything. There's mouthwash, there's flossers, but it's pretty clunky. Um, you know, there's big jars of mints everywhere. And I think there, and so someone started to joke and say, oh, it's the mouthwash. We're renting from the mouthwash company. <laughs> and so that kind of became a little bit of the joke. And so I think... Um, there's such great opportunity. Like it didn't disappear. It was a little, you're tripping over it. Exactly. You're like, this is a very heavy jug of mouthwash that needs to be moved out of the way so I can <laughs> wash my hands. Yeah. And we were a small team too. So for the, proportionately to the number of people in the space and then the size mm-hmm. of objects. So, 
Um, it was interesting, but there's great opportunity in that too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can you turn the mouthwash into something more delicate, hospitality focused that speaks to our brand, so that every time you have lunch and want to, you know, rinse, it, it feels more elevated mm-hmm. rather than the olive oil jar mm-hmm. that it might still be in. So you were uh, doing your coffee business, mm-hmm. staring out the window, thinking, mm, "There's got to be." some other thing for me out there. <laughs> I think a lot of it was, it was the pace we were moving. I mean, I love testing and iterating and doing, but I, I'm also, I, I like to execute. And I think the pace was difficult, as was the fact that we were a satellite team that was very small. I think at one point we were three people. It I was, thought it was like a 50, 60 person space. It must have felt real be. empty. It's supposed to be. That was another thing too, is it was supposed to be filled um, and then there were still some back and forths and things in progress with which teams are going to go in and how are we going to fill the space. And so it was lonely. And I'm a big people person and a big collaborator. And I, I missed, as a designer, I think people often think that you're this kind of mad scientist up alone with some kind of canvas and overalls, like doing your thing. But it's very, in my opinion, humble opinion, it's the very opposite of that. Let's throw a bunch of things up on the wall. Let's talk about it, gather opinions, look at it in a way that you might not have thought because you've been in your head about it. And that's how I think best. And I, I was missing that. So um, when Joseph called up, funnily enough, like the Friday before our my wedding weekend. Joseph called you? Yeah. You're not supposed to like poach from our customers. And Joseph called and was like, hey. Well, we, we had been in touch, too, because he stopped by to see the space mm-hmm. and talk about the furniture, and we had a really great conversation. And so, um, yeah, so he called, and it was pretty great timing. Mm-hmm. And you had already been practicing saying, yes, 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 I do, <laughs> sure. for weeks. <laughs> That's <laughs> yes. amazing. Okay, so you showed up here, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, now you design everything. Is that what, is that what you guys do? Trying to, yes. Um, we design... Yes, we design a lot of things in collaboration with a lot of different teams. Mm-hmm. So like this room that we're in. Yes, this lovely room that we're in, um, our HQ, our various spaces for our many different clients. This might have been your first assignment, right? I mean, it like, was when, my first assignment. When did this assignment. fall in your lap? In like January or something? Yes, it was my second week. So we move week. No. all the time. Yes. We have existed for three years, and this is our seventh headquarters. Yes. Time is ticking. Yes. It won't last. There are rumors afoot. Ready. Like in the squat position, ready for the, ready <laughs> for the, the ball. next. And so in January, you show up and we're like, um, okay, so um, we're going to move the entire company. You have about a month, maybe five weeks. And there's a space that looks terrible. And $10 and a square foot. A reasonable, generous budget of between 9 and $11. <laughs> exactly. For like a 55,000 square foot space with a lot of existing conditions. Yes. And this was your first outing and presumably Correct. and presumably you were starting to spin up your attention and care for a lot of other projects that were going on but why don't we just do the HQ always zooming into this room that we're sitting in and use that to learn about what it is all y'all do yes yeah so I mean so you get an email it's like we're moving you have about a week go we're moving go um, I mean, the first is looking at the, the task at hand, right? And for us, it varies. For the HQ as an example, it's we have to leave a lot of things as is. We have a fun economic bucket of, you know, th- things that we have to work with, but we have to be very mindful and creative about how we use what we do have. Um, and that's actually the same with anything that our team does. Here's the space, here's the condition that it's in, and then these are the budgets for each. And sort of Now, Drew assured me that the architecture team will deliver to you 
a perfect canvas on which you can be your most If uh, we are creative. lucky enough to receive uh, those. I mean, now that what we are now calling lightning spaces, which are refit remodels, you know, sometimes we're now we're at the stage where members are moving out of older spaces where we're evaluating those spaces. Is the furniture in good enough condition to keep? Can we freshen it up a little bit? Um, so I call it going on a, it's a little bit of like going on safari. It's a furniture safari. Yeah. Um, well, you're shopping thrift in your own, yeah, exactly, <laughs> in your own closet. Exactly. Um, and it's fun because it's different, right? And then New York has all these different nooks and crannies of spaces. And so, um, you know, no day is the same, no space is the same. So we have those kinds of projects, which are very much similar to HQ. And then the beautiful white box architecturally provided that they aspire spaces. to deliver yeah okay yeah. so you came you I, I presume your first move was like let me take the the two train and go see what this place is about correct and at the time there were yellow walls pink walls rainbow walls we still have the exorcist wallpaper which i don't mind that much anymore it's the alphabet wallpaper hmm, i gotta find that yeah somewhere here it's it's fun uh-huh um and some interesting carpeting conditions and furniture. But what was, but what you have to look past, there were a couple of cockroaches, a couple of broken glass things, and it very much felt like a zombie apocalypse had just, something had happened, people ran out of the building and that was it. So A lot of times it does look like that. When people yeah. leave, they leave, and then the movers move, and the condition that spaces are left in is far worse than their reality. Yeah. And how about a coat of paint or something? Come on, guys, no one's going to keep the yellow walls like... Yeah, I mean, there's our documentary series to the podcast, right? <laughs> Offices, the remainder. <laughs> okay, so you came and walked around, step one. Mm-hmm. You didn't start with a floor plan or something, or pictures of the site? No, uh, we didn't have pictures. We started with a floor plan, mm-hmm. um, and then we came to site. And we, it was uh, project managers, workplace strategists. So you showed up in, in, in a group. In force. Yes. It wasn't just you. Yes. How many people were in the... Probably tour party. eight to ten-ish. Mm-hmm. When you're all looking for different stuff, what are you doing as you walk? Prioritizing. What are the spaces that we would want to dedicate the most attention, time, and money to? Perception, or first impression. Um, things like we have 29 what used to be private offices that are now small meeting rooms. Things that come in scale, how can we make them adapt to what we need without having to spend too much time and money on them as well. Right, like there's a ton of meeting rooms, we're going to need meeting rooms, Correct. they might not be the right size, and they might not have the right sound dampening and whatever, but like, what are we going to do 50 of to fix these? Correct. So kind of prioritizing in my head the priority of what we should The large the gestures that will exactly. change the space. Exactly. Yeah. While collaborating with Mike Coon's workplace strategy, how do we envision different teams sitting in certain places? Um, ancillary spaces associated with those, like we now have a materials library, which used to be HR storage. This used to be the HR private room. We are in the Notel podcast studio. Correct. This was the HR private room. It has a beautiful view, lovely light. Beautiful. An all smoked up glass door. Mm-hmm. And it didn't have the same sound qualities it has now, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Okay, so you're walking around. And so I guess in your mind, you're looking at the condition and it's presenting for you certain priorities uh mm-hmm. is it the other way around that you have certain priorities and you're looking for them in the condition like okay here's the five things we got to nail because like here's how i think about a space i think about a space there's two frameworks i have in mind i think every office is like four or five things it's a bunch of desks a bunch of meeting rooms of different sizes one two ten or mm-hmm. twenty uh it's a bunch of social environments mm-hmm. there's a kitchen i call it you guys call it a pantry and there's a bathroom 
that's it, in my humble opinion. And you might need to, you know, divide a few things here or there, but whatever, those five things. So I look around and I'm like, well, where are they? And uh, how can we change it? And if we're going to subdivide or this or that, mm -hmm. we're going to need more of one or the other. So that's one lens. The other lens is, a, is an observation that Edward and I made when we were first reflecting on whether this thing we were doing at 17th Street was co-working or not. Mm. In like 2013, 14, 15, 16, well, I guess by January 16 we had changed our mind, but for the three years before that, we had a floor or two at 17th Street near Fifth Avenue, and we were just kind of doing our thing, but we were sharing our space with folks. And people would come by and be like, oh, this is so great, we like your co-working space. We're like, not a co-working space. It's no problem. I get it a lot, but okay. we're doing our thing here, and there's like a company there, and that's another friend. Don't worry about it. If you need a spot, you're very welcome. You know, if you're one or five, that's fine. By the middle of 2015, the velocity of such people coming and speaking to us was getting a little bit annoying. Mm. There were ex-WeWork people. There were giant real estate investors. There were city officials, all these people, and they're like, hey, this is great. Co-working. Yay, it's so exciting. I'm like, cool. <laughs> Not doing co-working. Yeah. Even Eugene, who is our global head of supply, Eugene Lee, came to me probably a year before that, like early in that cycle, and he's like, he's working for Mike Bloomberg, he's like, amazing co-working space, the city has a policy, I'm like, not doing co-working, but, you know, Eugene, you seem very passionate about this, and I like you, and we've been kind of friends, I guess, in the past, like maybe, if you want, why don't you start this, like, Eugeneville concept that you're telling me about, it sounds amazing, and he's like, no, I don't want to do it, I'm going to go take some jobs somewhere else. Some time passes, it's the middle of 2015, and uh, I'm reflecting on what exactly it is that's happening at 17th Street, and I noticed a bunch of things. I mean, it actually companies really wanted it, and these quote-unquote friends of mine were actually like people running 20 to 40-person companies, and mm -hmm. it really didn't look or feel like what you would see when you went to normal co-working, like where all these little groups and stuff. So I was noticing a few things, but one of the mechanics that I, that I noticed, and I, I still think about our spaces this way, and I'm going to test you and ask you about this and interrogate this question, there were a few ratios that gave all the answers. Mm. And there's three that I think are memorable to me. For every 5,000 feet, which is around 50 people, about 60% of the uh, space would be seats, and about 40% of the space would be social or group environments. Mm -hmm. The number of seats in the 60 and the 40 was the same. So if you could have 50 dedicated seats in 5,000 feet, you'd also have 50 other kinds of seats, couches or meeting rooms right. or whatever. That was one interesting ratio. And I went and I checked it in co-working and it's colossally different. It's like 90-10. Yeah. It's like all tiny little demise spaces. And there's a couple of like really beautiful big spaces, but there's no way that all the people could be in that one room at the same time. It would never work. Everyone's hived off most of the time. So that yeah. 60 to 40. And then the last one was for every 5,000 feet, there would be one fabulous signature thing. And on... 17th Street on the fifth floor we had this like 30 foot long church pew that we had gotten from some vintage place on the sixth floor there was this huge like surfboard collection slash bar desk whatever kind of thing I was like hmm what if that's all it is what if every space is just those cup those few ratios and a constellation of pantries bathrooms no, 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 no. how do you see and process a space what's your checklist or your prioritization or what emerges for you when you walk? Yeah, well, it's it's actually interesting. Even before that, I was thinking about your ratios and we were just talking about Starbucks and how the space was empty. I mean, we had a 50-person office with three people sitting in it and it was the most beautiful space with the best natural light and it felt lonely and not. I, it was hard to go. And so there's this magical 
you know, when, when I look, go to look at a space before a human soul is in it, it's um, how could, you know, how can, are we looking at the right space for this number of people that we have? Um, the ratios and breaks of, you know, you, this run of desks out here, how many people are sitting out here? This might be... Like 50 years then. We have to break it every so often with either something visual, furniture, whatever it is, because the worst thing is to have that, you know, 19... 40, 50, 60s models of just, you know, desks, phones, and things. You have to visually break it up to keep it interesting. Um, so there's, like, just the monotony of space is what I look for, and how can we break it? But also moments, like you just spoke about, about where can the personality of a thing, a company, a person show itself? Where are those opportunities? And I think that they're really important. Even something is, you know, our Jason Naylor no-tell wall right when you walk in our values you turn the corner and they're right down there I mean they're they there were nothing on those walls before and now they're little moments for us based on that customer user journey I mean I I very much too when I go into a space I think about what does this feel like as an employee showing up here every day and what do I think about as a visitor getting to know this company for the first time and Mm -hmm. what where are the moments that that company can say something without anyone being there and I think that those are really Yeah, that important. latter one I think is so often overlooked. And actually when we talk workplace strategy, this doesn't often surface as primary. Mm-hmm. It's probably like if, if someone's going to put their company in a quote-unquote real office, which is why they ought to use us, and not in somebody else's party environment, a lot of that reasoning is an emotional kind of reasoning around what you're people and outsiders, whether they're customers or investors or whoever, right. will experience when they come to the space. It is how the office represents you. It says something about you. Exactly. It's communicating. And even to your own internal people, it's communicating to them as fresh people who aren't yet like, they'll never be done learning that they're part of your thing. You right. know? And the functional char- characterization of a space as a place where people to like connect with each other and whatever, like there are a lot of, if, if you know, if, if form and, and function are connected, there is a lot of how a company will actually work that is driven by how high the walls are or how the sound is or can you get a conference room or whatever. But the form actually has so much also to offer and communicate about that, the identity and who you are and mm-hmm. how you experience it. For outsiders, for insiders, it's the story, it's how you use these walls. Yeah. It's the mission of the aesthetics. Yeah. I mean, I, we when I was at shop, we had Frog Design as a client. So design designers designing for designers. And the best piece of feedback we received was guys, the space is functioning too well. We're having 30 more parties a year, you know, a month than we normally should. Clients are seeing exactly what we want them to see when we do the space. We fitted it out with Ikea furniture. We had to, but it was all about the functionality of the space and having it be adaptable to what they need. They put a half pipe in, um, like, you know. Ikea has half pipes? Well, that was a different part (laughs) of the budget. But, um, I mean, but that's, that's what it's all about. And so for us, it's a really fun challenge and a delicate dance of how do we create spaces that are flexible for our unique clientele yet adaptable to the next client that may come around and want that same space yeah I mean I assume that part of the mandate is a bit unusual right so you're trying to build and scale a design team here that works a lot in New York but increasingly is supporting teams in, in other cities and eventually just all around the world and the mandate that you have that you're trying to attract people to join and to operationalize it's got to be different than the design meetings you have with some prospective clients when you were at shop oh yeah 
and and what I try to stress to the team and even stress to myself is yes we're trying to move fast move so fast and automate a lot of things that opens up so many doors to be creative in so many places that we have even yet to touch and so I think that um it's exciting it's challenging it's Hmm. fun I mean and when I think about the partnerships that I have like Amy and I talk every couple of hours you know supply chain and design because it's that's putting what we think about to life in many ways and so how do we keep that fresh how do we keep it exciting yet adaptable to all these different clients and so it's Hmm. um, well I mean so is it a challenge then because like all right so it's different it's obvious like you know if you were a design firm hired by somebody You'd come with some utterly bespoke design, never right. been seen before. You labor years. mightily to make sure that, like, they sh- see the craft and how deeply yeah. sourced it is. And then you present a bunch of things that are totally impractical, and you assume that half of them will be cut off, and you get the other ones through, and your favorite artist over here and this craftsman over here gets slotted into the project so you can get the thing through. I mean, it is a very traditional, pre-industrial era workflow. Mm-hmm. And here we are in a post-industrial era, not just in the age of mass production, but well into an age of perhaps mass personalization. Uh, every cup of Starbucks, of coffee at a Starbucks is made to order by hand at the request of the customer, or whatever, your iPhone screen is your kids, it's not mm-hmm. like, you know, a sunset or something, <laughs> like it is in, in the 1995 windows. <laughs> but um, the job of designer then, here, is a creative job but can feel like there's some encroachment from this like this economic capitalist demand of mass production flexibility cost control speed yes and the way you frame it though is to well, turn it back on itself and c- describe it as a platform for further creativity yes but also when you think about the team in and of itself so design covers both interior design and branded environments and it's the collaboration of those two teams and even if you were to look at a specific project those two people on that team to work on that creativity component together there's no sign that will be the same for x client as it is for y client and maybe the interior designer is going to help come up with a wall solution you know a wall covering or a material that can then help to make that even even better more consistent with the brand unique and so i think that by having the design team being these kind of dual counterparts of each other. Um, it's not just one person doing the branding and the furniture and all of that. It's it's two people doing that. And it's intentionally gray in some areas so that there's a forced collaboration on certain things. So even though maybe one day one part of it feels robotic and monotonous, the other design person on that team may have a very different assignment and it's up to them to resolve that together so is it part of is it part of your agenda every day to to stoke the creative fire of your people yes they don't walk in on fire yeah i want the team to feel i mean it's interesting right we have goals as a company um to move fast, to hit a certain amount of square footage. And as the design director, my goal for my team, personal goal, is that we create spaces that we're proud of designing and our clients are happy to live in every single day. And when you think about the importance of how much time we are spending in our offices, and I mean, we have a team dedicated to making that feel good and thoughtful. And so... Mm-hmm. Um, what makes What makes you proud of a space or what makes our clients energized by a space like how would you sketch it i think knowing that they had i 
want to say personal touch, but I think that also comes in the team that shows up in those design times to say, I'm listening, I'm here, and this is how this is how what you're telling me will show up. And I think that's the most exciting part about what we do is, you know, you have this company, maybe they have a brand book, maybe they don't even have a logo, maybe they've already had 15 different offices, but you have a unique physical condition that they've never dealt with before. And how do we translate who they are as a company into a physical space with the constraints, standards, and catalogs that we have? Oh yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, so no matter how fast or how much volume or, you know, how uh, economic you try to be, there are some impossible constraints every time and require some invention yeah. to, to, to circle. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And even just, I mean, that's our whole um, play as a company. Companies also change in and of itself, too. One year they're 50 people, the next they're 100, maybe they're down to 20. And so that's also another constraint um, to play with. And that would obviously impact workplace strategy a little bit more, but it does end up showing in the physical. So. How many spaces have we opened since that first assignment that you were handed? Um, 60. <laughs> no way. Well, it was in the town hall meeting. We moved in over 51 spaces in Q1. We're now in Q2. We had two moves on April 1st. How many did you do in your tenure at shop? Ooh. Oh, my gosh. Three. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> How long was that? Was that just like a day or you were there for I was there three years. But one of them was like a master plan and then the other one was another master plan and oh wow. That was That's a fun back to back question. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you think it's gonna be like when we do um three hundred next January through March? Yeah. I think it will be fun and hectic, but I do think that there will be, we're still figuring out the formula. We don't know, we're getting close, and I think with each month and lesson, we're getting closer to it. With each week, there's a new template we roll out to make installations easier. With each week, there's more things added to the catalog, which make things faster, too. And so I think that by then we'll be, we're doing, everyone's doing it for the first time, so we'll be wiser as a company and we'll be equipped with even better tools and in different platforms and softwares that will make us be able to hit that 300 mark. I bet we'll be able to do it. I just wonder what it'll be like. We'll definitely be able to do it. Do you think we'll still be creative? I, we better be. <laughs> I hope so. I know, well, I will say this too. We have, we have a design styles quiz. This is a good example. It was a Google form, it still is a Google form. We're changing that. The purpose of, I'll take a step back, the purpose of it is to understand these companies before we even draw on a piece of paper, or put something down. Well, it's some like mood board type thing? Pretty much, like what's your vibe, what are you about? We're personalizing that, we're being artful about it. We're making it feel like we, the design teamer, whenever the client's filling it out, they're speaking with you as you're doing it. So even though, sure, we'd love to be there to listen to them fill out this form, can we be more intentional? Whimsical may not be the right, right word, but have a human aspect to the speed in which we're moving it. So the client feels like they may be our only client of the week or the month or the quarter. They're one of 300. Um, and so I think that we can develop ways to have these personal touches yet automate it in such a way where they we, we fooled you they have no idea well they don't have to be yeah or i mean whatever your iphone is very personal there's no tricks 
And it's actually interesting to listen to you talk about the mission of design, or our design. Um, it's not about beauty or about you know an aesthetic celestial ideal. I think inclu- it includes that, but so much about the people and the personalization and the listening and the care and the joint collaboration and um, the personalization. Yeah, exactly. Because to me, there's nothing worse than seeing an office that has no sign, no personality. It could belong to anyone doing anything. And people spend their whole days there. Um, you think a little bit about the office from the office, you know? Um, Maybe we should build one of those just for fun. It would be really we fun. We should build I a clone of it. Life-size And we'll people it. Who would you be? I, I, I would probably, I mean, I would guess I would be assigned to the job of being the Ricky Gervais character, the what's his name? Uh, oh, um, but I think by I nature I wouldn't be him, yeah. Who would I be by nature? I'm not really that guy. Well, okay, we'll leave that for next time. Yeah, that could be a good. Lana, thank you. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. This is great.